Good morning. You might be wondering why I shaved my head. Uh, three out of the five pastors have shaved heads, you know that, right? Nothing against you, Joey. But uh, I thought the probability was good, so I wanted to fit in. Um, we are in the uh, series of Proverbs, and um, well, before I do that, let me introduce myself. My name is Dan. Uh, I've been part of the pastor track this past year. Um, just love being with them and privileged to be in the Ox track in the coming year. And uh, it's been just great just being formed and shaped by the word together, uh, learning what it means to love God better, uh, to serve and love family and wife better, uh, to learn what it means to shepherd Jesus' church better. So I look forward to that, and uh, it's been a joy this past year, and that's why uh, I'm here in the pulpit today, and you'll be hearing from some of those guys uh, the next coming weeks. Like I said, we're in the series uh, called Get Wisdom in Fool Town. We're in the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at God's wisdom as in contrast to the folly of our culture, especially that of Boston. And we are calling our church from the Word of God to get wisdom, to see that this culture's uh, morals, their, this culture's principles is folly, and that God's Word is true wisdom. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Proverbs, and in verse Uh, Chapter 18, verses 10 to 12, we're going to be looking at the folly of pride and the wisdom of humility. Before we get into that, I wanted to uh, just give us a little introduction about what we're going to read. We're going to read verses 10 to 12, and in in this triad of Proverbs, Solomon gives us two character portrayals and then one just summary uh, proverb. He gives us a a character portrayal of a man that's proud, and then he gives us a character portrayal of a man that is humble, and then he gives us one overarching uh, proverb to sum it all up. So let's read that together. If you can turn your Bibles to Proverbs 18, verses 10 to 12. So listen to the man that is proud, and listen for the man that is humble. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Let's pray. Father, we just... We beg of you, Lord, to come in this place to fill this room with your spirit, that you would open up the scriptures for us, that you would be speaking to us straight from your scriptures and from your word. May you help us to desire wisdom and to see folly as folly. Help us, Lord God, to be a people in a community that is shaped by your word, to long to seek and embrace humility. Pray that would happen today. In your name we pray. Amen. There are many events in life that you can probably predict before it even happens. You don't need to be psychic. You don't need to have a magic eight ball. You don't need a graduate degree. Um, Some things in life, you just know how it's all going to end before it even starts. So, for example, let's uh, rewind to 11-year-old Dan Coe. 
if you get to know me, one of the things that you'll, you'll notice is that I love to build things. I love to work with my hands. I love to, um, you know, mess around with things till they're either fixed or till they're broken. Um, I, I love to figure out how to take things apart, put them back together. I, it's in me. It's probably in a lot of the guys in this room. We love to work with our hands and fix things and all that. Well, Right around the fifth grade, I was really into, um, like, the BMX bike, uh, skateboard, rollerblading scene, like, punk rock, all that stuff. Um, and that's when my dad bought me my first BMX bike, a mongoose. And uh, that summer, a couple weeks in, I got really tired of jumping curbs, uh, popping wheelies on the sidewalk. So what does a brilliant 11-year-old do in his moment of genius inspiration? Exactly, I heard it. He builds a ramp. Not just any ramp. He builds the biggest and baddest and meanest ramp. And so what I did that summer, I, I went into the garage, found some scrap wood, found some two-by-fours of plywood, started cutting, sawing. I finished it nice and well, made it nice and high, uh, spray-painted it nice and black, and it was all pretty. It was, I got to admit, it was, it was nice. It was a beast of a ramp. It was bigger than all the other kids had and all the older kids had, and I was really proud of my creation. But let's take a step, step back. Let's say that you were there watching brilliant 11-year-old Dan Coe building his little ramp that summer. You're watching him. This kid that has no idea about the physics that go into the jump no idea about the trajectory an object takes when it's going really fast off a really high, ob- uh, high incline. No idea about uh, the force, the impact that it takes to land a jump when you're going that fast and going that high. Imagine you saw all that. What would you have known was going to happen when I come screaming down the street off this super high ramp the first time? Yeah. I went off the ramp, tumbled over my handlebars, scraped my knees, my elbows, my hands. It was not pretty. I learned my lesson. Disaster, right? There's a lot of things in life. You can tell how it's going to end before it even happens. Let's say we get some seven-mile road women together in a room. What do you know is going to be the topic of conversation? Babies, families, babies, reality TV, food, babies, right? We know how it's all going to end before it even happens. Or or let's uh, rewind it back to 2007. You remember when the Boston Celtics made national headlines about forming the somewhat original Big Three, right? Even without the ESPN special about it. Um, Remember Ray uh, Ray Allen, KG were joining Paul Pierce in Boston, 2007? Despite all the whispers of how well they're going to play together, how they're going to share the ball, what did you know was going to happen after that season to the Boston Celtics? You knew after a toward season, after 60-plus wins, you knew the Boston Celtics were going to raise championship banner in the garden, right? You knew. In the same way, according to Solomon's wisdom, when you see pride walking into the room, You can be assured of what's to follow. Destruction awaits the proud. And in the same way, when humility walks past you, you can be assured that it's on its way to honor. 
See, destruction and honor, those are kind of weird words for 2010 years, but what I want us to hear when we hear those words is in the context of eternity, right? So when I say destruction, yeah, the proud man might find destruction in this life, might find ruin in this life, but, rest assur- but that, might not all be, you know, that might not always be the case. But rest assured that in the end, ultimately, he will find himself eternally destroyed before God. Because the scriptures tell us that God is completely opposed to the proud. That God will even tear down their house. It says in Proverbs 15, 25. And when I say honor, I want us to think eternally. That could mean that you will be recognized by God and men in this life. But that might not always be the case. What I want us to think is eternally we will be honored by God. God sees the humble and that he, he will lift them up. He promises to lift them up to enjoy eternity with him and his people. So according to God's infinite wisdom, pride is just, a pre, just as much a precursor to destruction you know, as clouds and dark clouds and muggy air are to thunderstorms. Right? The Proverbs says, where you find pride, destruction is not far behind. And on the flip side, the wisdom we hear is, where you find humility, honor is not far behind. So let's look into this. Why is pride complete and utter folly? Why? What's so foolish about a proud heart? Well, we're going to look into Proverbs 18, and we're going to look into verse 11, because Solomon gives us two character portrayals. And in verse 11, he gives us the character portrayal of the proud man. He says this, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own imagination. You see, what Solomon's saying is a proud man is like a dude that thinks his city is all that. He thinks that his wealth has amassed so much that it's become an impenetrable wall. But that's only true in his dreams, only true in his imagination, because in reality, this man's wall is two feet high and paper thin. So according to God's wisdom, one of the aspects of a proud heart is a consumption with self. In other words, a proud heart looks foolishly into a mirror all day long and looks at himself. He looks at himself and he loves his accomplishments. He loves his accolades. He loves his strength, his power, his wealth. All he cares about is himself and his, uh, what he's amassed. That's what verse 11 tells us. That this rich man's wealth is his strong city. A fool is so rich that all he does all day long is imagine and daydream about his money being stacked real high, thinking that it's a fortified city. But he's a fool. He's a fool to think that because all that's only true in his imagination. In reality, his city's going to come crumbling down at any moment. Not only are the proud consumed with themselves, but the proud overestimate themselves, overestimate their abilities. This man believed that his walls of dollar bills was was high enough to protect him against attack. This man believed that he had gotten so much wealth that his stacks were laid so high that it would act as his defense. But the wise, we realize that this is utter stupidity, right? Right? No amount of money can defend a whole city. 
We should know this. Countries spend trillions of dollars on defense, yet that doesn't stop death and destruction to come into our walls, does it? No, it's utter foolishness to think that your wealth can protect you and save you. Pride's one of those things that uh, really has no simple face to it. Uh, It takes on many forms. It takes on many shapes. It takes on many names. We often think that prideful people are the people that brag a lot or are cocky. um, And and that might be true. They probably are. But but pride also takes on a quieter form. We might not be aware of this. Pride takes on uh, what I like to call a quiet pride. Sure, it's easy to spot the, the guy that's talking about himself and all that he's accomplished and you know, all that he's done, but beware of that quiet pride that's lurking in some of our hearts. That quiet pride that mopes around, that throws pity parties, that um, seeks and begs for attention when things aren't going our way or when, you know, people aren't paying attention to us. Sometimes pride puts on a good face, but underneath it all, underneath quietly is that ugliness. Pride can creep into your heart. It's one of those things that it's hard to see, but it can creep into your heart, and it grows and lingers there. It grows when you feed it thoughts of self-sufficiency, thoughts like, I got this. I can do this. I I don't need anybody else. Or thoughts of uh, overconfidence of, you know what? If I had a Bible, if I had a mic, I can go up there and do this. Pride resides in the heart and manifests itself in a variety of ways. But beware of the root of pride. The root of pride is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is the thought that you have it all together, that you have it all under control, that you're the ruler of your own kingdom. That you're your own boss. I've been in Boston for two years now, and I try to drive the roads and figure it out uh, on my own. When I first got here, I used my GPS because I had no idea how to n- maneuver the rotaries and all that and what Route 16 or 60 was and the difference between the two. And, but in the last year, I've been, I put that GPS away in my glove box and I try to maneuver my way around the streets to figure things out and to, to get around the city without you know, anyone's help. And I think I've done well. Um, but once in a while, when we're driving through the city, Caroline and I, we're driving through the city, um, I start to look around and nothing looks familiar. You know, that feeling just like, I think we just took a wrong exit on that rotary and everything's flipped around and you just kind of don't know where you are anymore. And as a dude, you know how you are, right? You just kind of play it off. You figure, okay, if I take one more right, I think I can get there to the exits over there. And I, can, I, could, I just peek over to Caroline and I see that, She's looking in that glove box, (laughs) right? She wants me to get that GPS out because we got somewhere to go. We got to be there at a certain time. But as a dude, I don't want to do it, right? I have this this sinful pride in me, this self-sufficiency, thinking that if I just take a couple more right turns, I think we got it. The root of pride is self-sufficiency, thinking that I'm my own king, that I got it all under control. And Solomon begs us to see the folly in this. Begs us to see that pride is utterly stupid. Pride has no grounds and no foundation. Right? Think about this. Who are we to think that we're self-sufficient when we are mere creatures 
And God is the creator. Who are we to think that <clears throat> who are we to think that we own anything when all that we've been given is from God? Who are we to say that we've made anything of our lives when we bring nothing into this world and we take nothing out with us from this world? Pride's reward is a fool's reward because all pride does all day long is accept the vain applause of man. It's here now and gone tomorrow. Pride is folly because it's the prelude to our demise. Solomon emphasizes the foolish man's qualities and says, This man's city, it only exists in his imagination. Because in reality and in fact, his true prize is destruction. You see, fools stare in the mirror. So pride is utter foolishness. All right, I get it. So what's so wise about humility? What's so wise about it? What's so beautiful about it? Why should we seek humility? Why should we embrace it? Look in verse 10 with me. It says, Solomon tells us that the humble man is the one who considers the name of the Lord as a strong tower. This righteous man runs into it and is safe. Unlike the proud of heart, um, those who are consumed with themselves, the humble man, he looks beyond himself. In fact, Solomon says that the humble man, instead of uh, going into his own city that he's built with his own hands, he wisely runs into the refuge of the Lord. He's the one that realizes that he's defenseless without the Lord to protect him as his strong tower. He's the one that puts down the mirror and looks at the one that can truly protect him, the one that is his refuge. The humble is not consumed with his own name. He remains consumed with the name of the Lord. So some of us think like this. Some of us think that humility comes in the shape of someone that's kind of hunched over, very soft-spoken, very slow, uh, very, you know, servant-like. And that might be true. But true humility doesn't just put on the form of a humble person. It becomes someone that thinks of themselves rightly. Humility is a right view of oneself. Humility is a a sober evaluation. God gives us all a variety of gifts. We all have gifts and talents and things that God's given us. Don't mistake humility by hiding those talents so that you don't come off as the proud person, so you don't come off as the cocky person. Because the exact opposite is true. Because if you're humble, true humility shows itself by sober evaluation. If you're truly humble, you'll realize that all those gifts and talents you have are given from God and you would use them for his glory. In fact, the more gifts you've been given, the lower you'd be sunk. And the more you'd realize that God has been incredibly generous to you. That he's given you all these things that you now possess, and you will do everything to use them for their purpose, which is to love God and to love others. In that way, humility is for the wise. Humility is for the wise. Solomon says that the righteous man is the one who sprints and runs into God's refuge because he realizes that he has nothing apart from him. 
He realizes in himself that he is nothing apart from Christ. So he runs into Jesus' refuge. It's wise to realize that we are creatures and that he is the creator. It's also wise to be humble because your reward will be honor, guys. It's a promise. When you run into the safety of God's grace, you declare that the Lord is your strong tower. It's no longer your name hanging up in lights. You run into the city that bears the name of the Lord. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And in the end, for all the humble saints that declare that pride is utter folly, utter stupidity, and run and seek and embrace humility, Revelation tells us that we will then have the name of the Lord written upon us. We will be his. We will be honored. You see, fools stare in the mirror, but the wise find their refuge in Jesus. Solomon isn't the only one that believes this and and sees this wisdom. You see, this wisdom is ultimately God's wisdom. And Jesus, too, sees this in the gospel. And like Matt read in Luke 18, we see the wisdom of Solomon being resonated by Jesus in Luke 18. So we're going to look at that parable real quick. Jesus tells us a parable about the Pharisees and the tax collector. Uh, We don't know much about what's, you know, much about their character except that they're a Pharisee and tax collector. But I want you to hear this as I read the passage one more time. I want you to hear why Jesus tells this parable and who his audience is. And then I want us to hear the uh, caricature portrayals of the proud man and of the humble man and to see where both end up. Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You hear that? It's the proud man. Some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus says this, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then Jesus says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, This tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In Jesus' parable, he contrasts these two guys, one a proud man and one a humble man. And he shows, he tells us their prayers and shows that their path is determined by what comes out of their mouths. First, there's a Pharisee, a well-respected Jewish man, a devout religious man, an upstanding citizen in his town, someone that thought, you know what, that guy is right standing before God. But this guy prays the prayer of the proud man in Proverbs. He's consumed with himself, right? All he does is pray about himself. 
he lists all the things that he's done, his accomplishment, his accolades. And then he's also overestimating himself. At least I'm not as bad as that guy and that guy and that guy. And I'm definitely better than the tax collector. On the other hand, we have the tax collector. This guy is despised by society, looked down upon by others. But he prays the prayer of the humble man in Proverbs. He looks beyond himself. He can't even look to the heavens. He puts down his eyes. He also shows a sober evaluation. He admits that he's a sinner in utter need of God's mercy. So what's shocking is that you would expect that this man, the Pharisee, who had it all together, who did all the right things, said all the right things, everyone, that everyone respected, you would expect him to be commended by Jesus. But Jesus flips the script on everybody. Verse 14, when we read that in Luke 18, we should be shocked. Jesus says, I tell you, this tax collector, the one that looked beyond himself and the one that had a sober evaluation, the one that was humble, he went down to his house justified, not the other. See, God heard both prayers, but Jesus determined different paths for each. And Jesus tells at the end of verse 14 why he did that. He gives us a, a little glimpse of what differentiated the two. And here, the seven-mile road, this is, this is heavy. He says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. Fools stare long and hard in the mirror. But the wise, the wise run and sprint into the refuge of Jesus Christ. You see, the proud are self-sufficient. They see no need for God. They pull themselves apart from God and and distance themselves from God because they see no need of him. But the humble, they have a sober evaluation. They realize they are in utter need of God, so they draw nearer and nearer and nearer to him. So how do we fight pride? How do we fight it? It's both absolutely simple and incredibly difficult. We fight pride by clinging desperately to Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ kills pride in the heart of man. The gospel of Jesus Christ kills pride in the heart of man. For the gospel tells us that we are desperate without him. Without him, our course is headed straight towards destruction. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God embodied broken humanity, came to live the perfect life, came to die the death that we should have died, came and died on that cross and resurrected the three days later and claimed victory over sin and death and gave us the gift of his righteousness so that it's not our own, that's the gift of God. And only the humble 
only the humble that recognize that they are nothing apart from him, that all that they have is from him, will receive this gift. The proud, they're going to continue to imagine in their minds that they have it all together, that they don't need Jesus, that they don't need God, that they're okay. But the humble, the humble, they realize they have a need for God's mercy. And they desperately fight this self-sufficiency, this pride that lurks in their hearts. And they cling to Jesus. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ kills pride in the heart of man. So Seven Mile Road, let's be a gospel community. Let's be a gospel community that desperately clings to Jesus, seeks to be humble, fights the sin and folly and stupidity of pride, killing this foolishness with the gospel, that we would receive this incredible gift and truth of Jesus Christ's gospel and seek to be humble. Let us not invite destruction into our church, into our lives, by being proud. But let us seek and desire honor in our humility. Seven Mile Road, let us not be fools that stare long and hard into the mirror. Let's be the wise community of God that runs and sprints into the refuge of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that puts us in our place. We thank you for your wisdom in the Proverbs that you share with us. That you will show us the utter stupidity and folly of pride. It's foundationless. It's baseless. And that you would show us the beauty and the glory of honor, of of humility. Help us, Lord, to be shaped as a people, to be ones that are humble, to realize our utter and desperate need for you, and that we would be a people that run straight into the city that bears the name of the Lord. For you exalt those that humble themselves. We thank you for this word. In your name we pray.